welcome to a special episode of Channel F. Today we will be talking about the Near Replicant remaster. We are recording this on uh, April 14th, well in advance of when you'll be hearing this, um, but we specifically Emron Khan, uh, Fanbyte's uh, news editor, Hello. is ready with many thoughts because uh, Emron has played it for review. Emron, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm emerging from a near-shaped hole right now because I literally this this review is coming off hot because I finished the game yesterday. Yes, it is coming off hot. We will have certainly a written piece on the site. Emron will be writing a wonderful review, but this is a hot off the presses kind of you know thoughts, opinions. This will be non-spoilery, so don't worry about getting spoiled on. The remaster, including um, any of its new content, um, but we will be talking sort of about the experience that Imran has had playing it over the weekend. Um, I'm in a lot of pain because <laughs> I I saw the review code in my inbox and I was like, oh my god, it's there. And then I, I had to keep writing an overdue midterm that I've had an extension on for the last month. So I was just like... I think Imran was absolutely the best person to review this game anyway, so it's fine. But it was a little painful to see the code and be like, ah, can't review it because school is kicking my ass. Yeah, but, no, the, uh, <laughs> the, the timing for this worked out weird because like, I'm going on vacation next week. So like to get this done, I had to basically hammer through the entire game in the last five days, which I figured would be, you know, not a big deal. It's much more of a big deal than I thought it was going to be. Oh, <laughs> and that's you having seen a lot of this already, yes. like knowing, you know, which paths to take and where the story goes. Um, so Emron, I would love to know, um, we've talked about Nier on 99 Potions, Fanbyte's premier RPG podcast where Emran is on very often. Um, but I want to know about your personal history history with Nier and this game and why you were so excited to review it. So I played Nier, I don't know if it was exactly at launch, but it was probably pretty close. And I kind of bought it as like a joke. Like I didn't, <laughs> I, I remember making fun of the game of like, I can't believe they're doing this weird thing where they're separating the protagonists and like they're only selling one in America. And like, I, it didn't look very good. It didn't look like it played very well. So I, I bought it cheap and I played it and it blew me away. And I, I fell in love with that game in a way I don't fall in love with games very often. And it's one of those games that every so often, like every 20 years or so, I'll play a game that reminds me, oh, wait, there's people who make this. And like, that's something I know, but it's not so, like, I never think about the, the agendas and the thoughts and the feelings and like the clumsy mistakes people like developers make and stuff like that. And <laughs> until I play games like that, like Mega Man X is one of those games for me and Nier was another. And I, fell just completely in love with the game and played it over and over. I think I, before the remaster, it was probably played it about a dozen times over the last decade. And I've, you know, written articles about it. I've talked to Yoko Taro. I've, you know, written, started writing a book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's one of those games that has like deeply affected me. And that made me the idea of a remaster very scary because yes. One, it could just not be as good. That's like easily a, a a possible you know end path here. Another is, what if it is exactly as good and I was wrong? What if it like I just don't feel the same nostalgia for that anymore? And I 
when I started reviewing it, I was like, this is really scary because I don't know if the thing that I've like not dedicated my 10, 10 years of my life to, but like a, a fairly large part of shaping who I am as a writer, like, mm-hmm. is that like bad now? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that question is no, but it's not as good as you would think, really. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I, to get right into this, near replicant, we'll call it 1.5 because the the version 1.224, it's it's a dumb joke. It is yeah. a Kingdom Hearts <laughs> joke, I think. It is like it is a square root of 1.5, which is the dumbest thing. Oh but like God. it is, is a perfectly Yoko Taro thing. But yes. like playing 1.5, it is the definitive edition of Nier. Like mm-hmm. outright, completely. That game, there's no more arguments of like, oh no, the, the 360 version is better because I think it has this dynamic and that stuff. And like, yeah, that is something we can consider about this HD remaster as well. But everything about this game in terms of battle system, graphics, uh, content, is better than it was 10 years ago, which is to be expected. But I know there's there are some people who look at some of the stuff that they've changed and improved and have some issues with it. I, I also have some issues with some of those things, but overall this game is better than it was 10 years ago. Right, and it comes at an interesting time. Um, we are just fresh off recording a retrospective episode on Mass Effect 1 as we gear up for the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. And I think I think what you're talking about is really important to keep in mind, especially in this era where we're seeing so many remakes and we're seeing so many small and big changes to those experiences that have remained so iconic with us, but that we are starting to see these changes. And even when they're really small, like a lighting change effect, like a lighting effect change, or um, the way that uh, Eden Prime in Mass Effect 1 looked in the original versus how it looks now, these are things that, while not everyone has problems with them, they do impact sort of, they're different compared to the experiences that we first had with some stories that are really important to us. And so when evaluating those differences as we progress into the next generation and, you know, bring these stories to a whole new array of people, um, hearing that it is a pretty good, if maybe flawed, definitive edition that is really the best version to experience of this story, warts and all, um, I think is a really great thing to hear because like yeah. it, it could have easily not turned out that way. It, it doesn't mean that just because we, you know, have these changes in this new remaster, it doesn't mean that they were going to automatically be better. Um, so I'm happy yeah. to hear that. To be clear, a lot of the flaws are flaws that were with the original game. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you never played near originally, that right like you've yeah i watched re- all of it <laughs> yeah so <laughs> you were familiar with the fact that like you go to the same places a lot in that game like yeah. you can you will go through a dungeon leave the dungeon and then we'll ask you to go back into that dungeon to go do another thing like yes. that is still present in near replicant like mm-hmm. it is it's not good for pacing as someone who's been used to it like the game runs faster now it runs it i want to say 60 frames per second i'm not entirely positive uh you physically run faster, so things are quicker, but like they still ask you to do a lot of real boring shit in that game. There is a piece of new content that is a main story thing that asks you to, say you get the quest in Nier's village, then you go to another village, talk to one person, 
then talk to another person. They're like, let's go back to the original village to talk to someone else to investigate this. You talk to that person again who just outright says, I've got no idea. So you go back to the village you were just at and then like you get further into the content. Like it's insane that like they felt like they needed to (laughs) pad the content that way. But like, and also even in the original game, there's so much of, oh yeah, this place is like, we're going to go back there again for the third time. Like the only thing that's different here is that now there's like a boss battle here, but otherwise it's roughly the same. A lot of the side quests have you go through like dungeons you've already been through to fight one more thing or things like that. And the side quest design in that game was always kind of bad and it's still pretty bad in the fact that like they didn't introduce like a fast travel or anything to really, you know, make it. There's like some kind of fast travel, but it's not, you know, it takes you to vague areas, not like specific places. So that's stuff that I think if you're, if you're someone who like love near Automata and we're like, I want to play more of near, I don't want to get off Yoko Taro's wild ride quite yet, but it seems very difficult to go back to that old near. It's still a little difficult. It's difficult for different reasons. Uh, but like the, the main criticism everyone had about fighting in that game, the battle system, like completely null now. It is not a platinum games battle system, but it's still pretty good. It is a lot better than it was in the, the original. That said, I, it's still very easily broken, just like the original game was. And I <laughs> made a beeline for the weapon that breaks the game, and I broke the game immediately upon doing it. So like... <laughs> It's, it is a, if you're new to Nier, if you've not played the original, you have some like growing pains to get through with like the way this, the quest structure works. If you're not new to Nier, if you have played the original, there's a couple of things that aren't great. And like, by and large, most of them are fantastic. There, there are some very strong and emotional moments, especially in new content that I really love in this game. I, I showed you this picture before we started this podcast, mm-hmm. Matt, that like, yes. Kaine's face has changed in a way I don't think is for the better. It's I wouldn't disagree with that, actually. Like, I, I think she looks prettier, but there is a, there's a change in the structure and the character that has been presented, I would right. say. <laughs> it, it's two things. The two things are the problem with that. Like, one, it's the Squidward meme of, oh, no, they're hot. Everyone <laughs> in the game is hot now, which is, like, real strange because there was, like, a charm, and granted, this is maybe just interpreting what they could and couldn't do, what they like, what the 3D modelers were actually trying to translate from the art and all that. But like, there was a charm to the fact that there was this group of like weirdos who don't look like supermodels mm-hmm. trying to like save the world, and like they have their own interactions and they like fall in love, and they're not, you know, we were talking about Mass Effect earlier, like they're not the models in that game, they're not yeah. like literal people walking down the catwalk, but. They fit or fix. They change that in this game, and the other problem is she kind of cynically is not as emotive with this face. Yes. She may have looked different before, but she also had like scowls and grins and like different things that now it looks like her face is botoxed up, and yeah. I think that harms her character design. It harms the model quite a bit. You get over it. You learn to deal with it, and like okay, they they do some really good stuff with Kaine. But man, if they just, if it looked like, if it was at least as emotive as it was before, then I think it would have been fine. But right. that is one of the things I like that bothered me a lot during the game. And eventually I just like gave up being bothered by it because it wasn't going to change. Yeah, I, I definitely think we're starting to see that again with Mass Effect. We're seeing sort of like 
those plastic surgery comments on like our protagonists' faces. And while we could say that they definitively look better in a way, they they look different. And sometimes those flaws are part of the charm and why we love these games so much. Um, I think it is interesting to evaluate this near remake. And as you said, like, it is interesting. I imagine being sort of in, in those rooms, deciding what they stay married to from the original and what they decide to discard because it could have streamlined this to be a lot better paced requiring you you know they wouldn't have required you to do all that sort of back pacing and like going back and forth and traveling and doing all these like silly little you know wastes of time but in a sense that removing that might have erased or eliminated something that is part of the charm of the original Nier in a way that, like, I don't know. Like, I, I think sure Nier Automata I made a lot of improvements that when you go back to Nier, you're like, wow, mm. this, this, is, this is in many ways a PS2 game that was on yeah. 360 PS3, like, and doesn't feel like it yet. Like, it, yeah. There are there are a lot of things about the original Nier that were way ahead of its time. It's, it was in essence a a lecture about literal narrative dissonance. It was like it's it it didn't kick off the sad dad trend, but like it was well it predated it by quite a few years. Mm-hmm. So like I I I would bet you if you talk to designers these days, they would never admit that they got a lot of their ideas from Nier. But I would be shocked if a lot of right. them didn't. Because there are things in that game that were very forward-thinking and were very bold, and they were really interesting, even if they didn't always succeed. And now that we're on the other side of that, if we're, we're like we've seen the Joels and the Kratoses and all the other ones, and like you come into this and it's like it's not a sad dad, it's a sad brother. But like you, you get to this like murderous brother thing, and it's like okay, this feels. Like it came out before Nier Automata, which obviously it did. But for people going in here expecting a Nier Automata streamline or level of streamlining, not, not that. No. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we get into what Nier is, specifically this version of Nier? Because, like you mentioned, there are two versions. We are um, getting the Nier Replicant version, whereas the one that was previously released in the West was Nier Gestalt. Um, mm. Both are essentially the same story. Um, Nier is a spinoff series from Drakengard. It follows the fifth ending of the first game, the events of which left the planet Earth in a state of decay. Um, set 1,000 years after this, uh, Nier puts the player in control of the protagonist as he attempts to find a cure for an illness known as the Black Scrawl, to which Yona, either his sister or daughter, in this game it is his sister, uh, has succumbed and near partners with a talking book known as Grimoire Weiss uh, and two other characters known as Kaine and Emil and they attempt to find a remedy for that black scrawl illness as well as to understand the nature of the creatures known as shades that stalk the world so I'm curious as someone who has been so devoted to Nier has this remake were you sort of a father near Stan or a brother near Stan before and has this remake affected that decision at all because I am from the friends that are playing it right now and whom I have talked to there are a few who used to think that the father near story was the better one but now that they're experiencing this one they're like oh wait 
Brother Near is actually better. And so I'm curious as to whether this remake has changed that at all for you. I think it definitely changes the dynamic. I don't, I, I prefer Father Near. I still mm-hmm. do after playing this game, but okay. it does change things about, about the script in a way I hadn't considered before. Like early on in the game, in both Nier and Nier, or, uh, 1.5, they Nier gives this weird speech to Kaine where he's like, but we're friends, so that's why I'm going to always stand by you. And as Father Nier, it comes off as this weird, oafish, like dopey thing for an adult to be saying to a teenager. Yeah. As Brother Nier, who is like 16 years old at that point, was like, oh yeah, I get it. This is the, this is the kind of dumb shit i would say as a teenager to like some girl you have a crush yeah Yeah. it's like i i think it works out differently i don't think it necessarily works out better because like that oafishness is part of like what i define or what defined that character for me like not the entirety of it but some of it and so there's a how do i do this there's a time skip at some point in that game Mm -hmm. in the original in near gestalt it doesn't make a lot of sense why Papa Nier can suddenly use bigger weapons because he is not actually that bigger. He is exactly the same. He's lost an eye and that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. And for Brother Nier, he is five years older. So Mm -hmm. like he, it makes sense now that he can use a a broadsword and a spear and all that stuff. That said, uh, so they got Zach Aguilar, who is Byleth and Three Houses to voice the older Nier. Uh, or by older, I mean like the post time skip near. He's been on I, a roll lately. Like he's been in 13 Sentinels. He's been in a bunch of really popular games lately. So I was yeah. really glad to see him for the role. I think he does a very good job of acting in the role. I don't think the voice fits because mm. it's like this very Bashonen anime voice with like a very, or, sorry, face with like a very deep voice. And mm. like, that's, it's strange. Like you eventually get used again, another thing you get used to, but it was an immediate thing of like, Hmm, I don't know how would I feel about this. They did relocalize the entire game. I was uh, going to ask, did they revoice those lines? or went like, did they re-record? Did you notice that they re-recorded the lines or there's a couple that I re- noticed that were re-recorded. There's a lot that did sound exactly the same. And I, this is someone who like has memorized <laughs> that entire game. <laughs> yeah. So like there are, there's a couple of instances where they straight up remove some of my fam- favorite lines, which I'm like, I kind of get it. Like in near Gestalt, when he approaches our early in the game, he talks to Devola about uh, a song she's singing and what it means. And adult near says, what kind of idiot doesn't know what song, what a song she's singing is about. And Devola replies, well, this kind of idiot. And like <laughs> that, one of my favorite exchanges in the game. And it like does says so much about both of them. I guess they realized that would be real mean and real dumb for like a young near to say. Yeah. So they remove that line and he's like very nice during the conversation, which is like not the same thing. Yeah. There's an, another where a character talks about building weapons of mass destruction, which they've like completely removed. And I'm not like, maybe that was just a relocalization thing that it like didn't fit the first time or whatever, but the relocalization overall, it's like they, you can clearly tell Grimoire vice is an old act or a uh, voice actor is a little older. And you can hear like a, the little bit of the old man coming out, which I think actually works better for the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura Bailey voices Kaine. And this is, I guess, not before she was the, you know, in everything, but yeah. like a little bit before. She's utterly fantastic in this. It is yes. one of the best performances I've ever heard from her. And it's a lot of it is just like straight up 
swearing at one point like her and vice are having a little exchange and then like she says something nice to him and he's he's taken aback he's like are you sure you're not drunk and she just goes fuck your face and i'm like that <laughs> what a i i pictured laura bailey who i've we've seen in tons of interviews i know from like she probably better known as abby in last of us part two than anything else she would do in near i honestly think this performance is much better than abby because of how how well she embodies that character Right. I I was particularly interested in seeing how many lines she re-recorded and if she, you know, the extent to which she recorded those lines, because I I remember listening to her as Kaine so many years ago. And this was before she had all the experience that she does now as a result of being everywhere. And so I think this is a a version of Kaine that has more depth to her voice in ways yeah. that I'm really excited to get to know because I think back then it was more of her trying to avoid being pigeonholed into a specific character. Like for a long time, she got characters like Rise from Persona 4, like characters where they were very cute and very bubbly and Kaine was different from that. And I think she now has a much wider spectrum of characters that she's done and voices that she's performed that I think kind of will be exciting to re-experience, especially since she really is, along with Emil, I would say she is the standout character. Um, and I don't think many people would. Um, maybe Yennefer, if you hear her in the background, maybe <laughs> she has an issue with me saying that, but <laughs> I think a lot of people would agree. <laughs> it's... It is such a good performance, and like I think a lot of the lines were recorded because like you can hear a small difference, and maybe I'm just crazy. Maybe they didn't re-record them, but a small difference in the "vice you dumbass" monologue that like <laughs> is is famous is what like one of the most famous parts about Near. Yeah. One of the things I think is interesting about Kanye this time is how do I put this? Um, Ten years ago, the the idea of her being intersex was like part of like the game's marketing to the point where like I I was looking up stuff about the game. Uh, cause a lot of the old guides and stuff worked and I wanted to make sure some things and like the old Neo gaff thread was like a joke about how she's intersex mm. and it's not like shocking or a revelation this time. Cause like society yeah. has moved like to, to be better about that sort of thing. And so you get a better idea of her like personal trauma and yeah. how she's re- like lived her life and how, like how that informs, uh, the, the like her performance in the game and like it's so interesting playing a game that at the time had i it wasn't a trap joke but it was like weirdly close to like not the not inside the game itself but like the way it was presented and now it's like i don't think anyone's gonna like harp on that because it's not a it's not a it's not a strange thing for like society to talk about at this point so i it's one of those things that nothing has really changed on it except externally society around that game has changed. Sorry if you heard that. That was my dog, but he agreed with your thoughts on Kanye. What is the dog's name? I know the cat's name is Jennifer. Kanto. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. He absolutely agrees with you. Just wanted to say that. Um, but yeah, I'm super happy to hear that. Cause like, I think, Something that Nier doesn't get enough credit for is the queerness embedded in its main narrative. Um, And I think it handles that in interesting ways. I'm not sure if I would say like they're 100%, you know, like unproblematic or like whatever. Like 
one thing that I think will have definitely aged, but that I, I wouldn't, it's not like I saw them changing this, but Kaine's outfit and the reasons for that outfit. We live in like a, like this is now after we had Hideo Kojima say that quiet and Metal Gear Solid dresses this way because like there was what, like some illness and sh- her skin had to be uncovered so that she could breathe more yes. easily or something you, like you'll that. You'll be ashamed of your words and deeds. You'll be ashamed of your words and deeds, iconic, uh, show-stopping, etc. And so we live in a day and age where that is seen as the as clownery because yeah. it kind of is. And so I'm... I've already been interested in the reception that I've seen from women who are experiencing Nier for the first time and they see Kaine and they are told about the reasons why she supposedly wears this outfit, which have to do with the fact that she's intersex and like, nonetheless, like, I think things have aged and progressed into a totally different landscape where now people are still like, yeah, that still doesn't sound right though. Like, yeah, no, it's still a terrible butt cheeks like- out. Like, come on. <laughs> the outfit's bad. The justification is bad. Like, the character is great, though, which is what makes that all the more frustrating. Absolutely. I'm curious. Um, one of the things that stuck out to me in the original Nier, also, like, for staying on the topic of Kaine, were the sections with her and her grandmother, which were, they were presented as in a visual novel format. Is that still the case here? Or do we see those scenes actually fully realized? There's no visual novel format. There's Word. also more of this time. Like oh. it's, it's, it's one of those things that they have outright said the forest of myth was supposed to be an actual village at one point, And they just like, didn't have time. So they cut it for a visual novel. And like near did such a good job of taking clumsy, uh, issues with the game and making a an interesting choice with them and i think the visual novel stuff kind of adds to that because it is some of the best writing in the game but yeah they don't they don't go ahead and make those cutscenes. they're they're still what they are uh, that's a little disappointing because i would have really liked to see them realized do you think it do you, would you have preferred that or do you prefer to see them in the original format that they were i think it, it makes sense because, like, you get more of like their inner monologue and things like that this way. Yeah. So I I think they work well as a visual novel cutscene or cu- visual right. novel scene versus like an actual acted out scene. But yeah, they they don't they they for the most part they don't actually fix anything from the old game. Mm-hmm. It is all it is almost identical. The one thing that I did notice or that they did like make a point to change is so you. I don't know if you were paying attention back when the original game reveal or released, but no, joystick, I was a tadpole. <laughs> joystick <laughs> and the uh, Justin McElroy, the my brother, my brother, and my brother and me guy, uh, reviewed the game and he quit at some point because he the couldn't fishing? figure out how to fish. Yes, yes, okay. Now I when do you know t- that, <laughs> so his problem was he was fishing at where he was given the quest, not where he where the big red X was. Now they go through great pains to tell you, hey, it's not here. Go over to the beach. Aww. Like the the guy who gives you the quest has a line where he says, don't fish here, go to the beach. If you try to fish there, 
they, like he will stop you and say, just go to the beach. If you fail, if you keep doing it, they'll just end the quest and be like, no, just you caught the fish, whatever. And like, <laughs> if you, if you try, if you start wandering around town and can't find the beach, they will give you voice directions to go. Th- like they were clearly very like upset about this criticism of not, <laughs> people not knowing how to get there. It's, it's interesting. It makes me think like, as reviewers, we all have different goals, but I mean, something that I think, especially if you're more, if you lean more towards criticism, especially social criticism, like the aim is to start conversations and hopefully, at least indirectly, help studios implement changes into games and the people they portray and how they handle their presentation and all that good stuff. Um, and that's the aim of a lot of reviewers, but like it's this spontaneous moment of like, I didn't know where to fish. This really <laughs> popular dude didn't know where to fish that like has a tangible effect on a game development change that we can see. And I just think it's, uh, it's interesting to think about and, and just like tangentially. Yeah. Um, one thing that they certainly fixed is the battle system. So I'm curious as to, how it works now and whether it worked more for you. You said that it wasn't a Platinum Games sort of system, but that, and that it can be broken, but that it's a lot better. Yeah, it's a, the old game, it was, you had regular attack, you had a strong attack, and they were just different attacks, and like, they, you you could dodge roll, but it was like more of a Dark Souls style dodge roll, but didn't feel good. And like, it was not, (laughs) It was an action game made by people who were still making PS2 action games, essentially. And with they with Toy Logic worked on this one. So they tried to make it, one, they made it faster. Two, they made it easier to combo. And that that alone makes a big difference. But they also added cancels so you can guard at any time. And you can combo into the magic, which means you can use magic a lot better and more freely. So it's, it's a lot more like Nier Automata. Not quite like Nier Automata. Like, there's no real dodging or there's dodging windows and there's iframes that they're not, they don't feel quite as good, but it's, it's, if you're a, an action game aficionado, if you're someone who like breaks open devil may cry and Bayonetta, this is not going to be like that big depth <laughs> thing for you, but it feels better. And it feels yeah. better to the point where like, there's a, there's a side quest you can take to defeat a shade on that like randomly shows up at a bridge. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, it'll be there, sometimes it won't. And the idea is you're going to see it there sometimes, think you can take it on, get your ass kicked, and then come like come back at endgame and then finally beat it. I was able to, this time, actually just go fight it. Like the first yeah. time I saw it. Because there is a very good, or a very useful parry mechanic this time. So I just stood behind it. Every time it backhanded me, I'd parry it, do some damage, and that took about 10, 15 minutes. And eventually it died. That would not be possible in the original year. Like, maybe if you're real, real good at that game, sure. But, like, it wouldn't be fun. You wouldn't want to do it. Right. This time, it was, like, it was fine. And I, and that actually earned me the money to go buy the weapon that, you know, Broke breaks the up the rest of the, of the game. game. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, because I remember, because, like, the first thing that people who are fans of the original Nier would tell you before this Nier remake came along is, like, the first game has an incredible story, amazing music, unforgettable characters, but it is unbearable to play. And essentially that's, I think, would you say that's the biggest reason for this remake? Just like 
undoing yeah. that. Yeah, I would say that personally. I mean, so I'm I'm glad to hear it because I I do I like I said I watched it so I don't have like my memory is not filled with sort of the painful battle system and like working around it mechanically. But I do remember that like there were so many parts of the near let's play that I watched that I had to skim because it was like someone being in battle and then having to charge up that special attack. That's like sort of like this, like black laser, not really like a laser, but it's like this, like, shadow thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's just like, you charging that up and just waiting to do that. And then you, you get to do yeah. that one attack, but now you get to do that and other things at the same time. Right. Yeah. Like, so I like guess an example, let's say you're just doing a normal sword combo. You can just tap the L one button or whatever, you know, whatever you have assigned to it. And mm-hmm. like the second your combo is done, it'll just launch the spear. Like you, you don't go into a different animation, which is like right. great because it lets you use the magic it lets you vary things up and a lot of enemies later in the game are armored so like magic is how you get around them like you can do that with the dark hand as well the fist and it changes it up so it's not like a fist that slams down it's a fist that comes up from the ground and uppercuts them to like make it easier for you to jump into the air and also do some more combo damage that way like it's a surprisingly like it's not complicated or small change but it changes so much it makes it so much more active right yeah it's it is faster and more interesting and it doesn't never ever feels bad. And also, you can go into the options and change it so you can tap uh, different D-pad buttons to auto, do quick change weapons so you can string together larger combos. Mm. And now you do you can actually change weapons in a way that makes sense because not everything is weak against the same thing. Not everything breaks armor just as well. Like it's it gives you a reason to use more than just the one thing you like. It lets you kind of move around between short swords, broad swords, and spears uh, pretty easily and like it makes it more fun to do so. Right. Cool. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. I think it'll be a lot easier for people to get into it this time around. Yeah. Something that I want to ask you about that made me giddy yesterday when I saw it, I was like, Imran is suffering. Yay. <laughs> Not in like a, I want Imran to suffer, but Imran is suffering because of this. And that is so exciting. Um, You tweeted that there that you rarely cry with games, but when you do, it is incredibly important to you. And I immediately figured that it was going to be about near. Um, mm. And I confirmed it with you. I, I saw some people being like, is it over the blinking game before your eyes? Which I think is really cool and you should check out, by the way. Um, but no, it was over near. So like, without spoilers, I'm, I'm curious as to if there is a way that you can communicate about why it made you cry. Um, and yeah, I just want to know, especially from your perspective as someone who has been so devoted to it, who has made in part a career out of this game, who is writing a book on it. What was it like to re-experience those scenes that were so emotional to you and to see them in this new light where they, diluted in any way um i'm curious and in like an adjacent manner as well like i think the music was remastered and Mm -hmm. reorchestrated so i'm curious as to and music plays such a huge role into the emotions of near and the effectiveness of its scenes and just how 
gut-wrenching they can be so i'm i'm curious about that too that's like a bunch of questions in one but i am just (laughs) really curious about your emotional experience with this game because we can sit here and talk about you know how the battle system works and that it works more smoothly and the voice acting and whatnot but you have such a special and unique and fascinating experience with this specific game that i like that's why i in part like when i knew that i couldn't review it even though i had been looking forward to this and have been covering it and whatnot like part of me was also really happy because you are to me probably the best person in the space or at least one one of them to be reviewing this and i'm so happy that you can review it for fan um so yeah that was a long-winded way <laughs> but <laughs> i'm really curious about all that so the music one interesting thing is so they did remix it it's a little odd sometimes but i think most of the remixes actually work really really well like they throw you off a little bit so like i don't remember it going quite this way but this does sound good kj okabe don't miss honestly he does uh, he really does they an interesting thing little thing is you can change the music after the first playthrough to oh. near automata's music and it's this really weird thing because it feels so dissonant and it like really crystallizes that the fact that even those a lot of those soundtracks this both those soundtracks are very similar. Nero Automata's music belongs to Nero Automata. It does not it it makes like an interesting way to vary things up, but like the emotion side of that, like it feels more robotic, more sci-fi than I think Nero is supposed to. So I think you, if you want to try it, you should try it, but it's not the way Nier is meant to be played. Oh, that's uh, so interesting. I did yeah. not know that. Oh, my gosh. Because, like, there are so many songs in the Automata that, you know, are first heard in the original Nier, like Songs of the Ancient, or Song of the Ancients, rather. Emil's theme, Kaina's theme. Um, but that is really interesting to hear, actually. And so, yeah, yeah you prefer the original Nier's. I think it works better for the scenes that like d- my advice is don't do it for anything that's new content because mm-hmm. you want to you want to get the actual music they've like intended for that sort of thing. Yeah. So don't like if you if you're still looking at new content, keep it on the original soundtrack. Uh, what else? Is it? So the uh, the thing I cried about, I <laughs> cannot get into without spoiler. Yeah, I will say. What By was this it point, about it that made you cry? Was it like experiencing the scene again or seeing it presented in a new light? Like I'm curious. It is, it is, it was new content and it's, mm-hmm. uh, by this point we'll have a guide up for how to get ending E, but there's an ending E yes. and it, it basically was catharsis of 10 years for me of like mm-hmm. thinking about these characters, writing about these characters, like writing about the story in this world and there's a, just a final shot that like, oh, and like I, I just kind of broke, and mm-hmm. it it has massive implications for like every Yoko the Taro Yoko game Taro in a weird verse. way. Yeah, yeah, like the entire near universe, including like and talking to people about who, the current Final Fantasy fourteen. There is a reason why we had some emails about like. Hey, do you want to try out Final Fantasy fourteen now that the near raid yeah, is? I kind of wish I did that because we like, have a, a a code for you to get up to speed, have a character that can dive right into it. There, there are reasons, you know. Yeah, 
And I was like, okay, I, I think I'm there. They clearly plan to do more with this universe. And that, that very much excites me. But like when I, when I finally put the controller down and I was just done mm-hmm. with everything, I was like, in a lot, some part of it is probably also because I had been up for several days <laughs> playing this game. But like, I just, I, I, I don't tear up often. I very, even less cry, but this is actually just me. Like I started tearing up and I started just, you know, crying a little bit because this was a, an ending to a thing that I never thought was going to get an ending. And I could not believe just how much that affected me. Also put me in a very emotionally raw state when I heard that kind of uh, Final, uh, Final Fantasy mix that they have for the new raid, which yeah. is utterly fantastic in it's a way that so I like good. that I've been listening to almost nonstop since yesterday. Same. <laughs> but yeah, um, like yeah. it's I like I said when it it matters when games make you cry, even if they're not like. Even if somebody was to come in like video game stories are dumb, this video game story is dumb. It's like, sure, I can agree with that. I think this this video game is filled with like you walk weird with a talking book, <laughs> weird cross stories, <laughs> and like tons of proper nouns that just never like that can get real confusing. You get most of the story dump at the very end with documents that you you can't easily forget to look at before you uh, fight the final boss, like. I can agree with people who say maybe the story is dumb and maybe the story is not well told, but I've emotionally invested in it in a way that the near replicate 1.5 delivered on. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to, even if I put it in my game of the year list this year, I'm not going to say everyone without exception is going to love this game. But if you're someone who think you, who thinks you might, you definitely should give it a shot. It's not mm-hmm. everything it, could be but it's almost everything it should be i want to ask um and i think i don't know if you feel like you are allowed to not talk to spoiler territory but be a little specific um that's up to you but what is the thing that you miss the most from the original if there is something that you really explicitly miss and what is one thing that or maybe the thing from this remaster slash remake that you think is entirely for the better and that you can't really imagine experiencing near without. Hmm. I, it's going away from story content. <laughs> I think in terms of what I, like, I think we discussed like the, some of the relocalized lines that I miss and like <laughs> the character models I think that that would be my answer for those things. Like those are the things I miss about the original near that I don't think are like, I, I understand why they changed them. I just don't, I, I prefer the old ones mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what I could never go back. I probably can't play the old battle system ever again. Like yeah. there's a part of me now that's like, they should fucking remake Dragon guard three. Cause that game's battle system wasn't great. And that game didn't run well. So just remake it like this. Just put toy logic on it. Just, honestly, I'm not. I would not be shocked if they did do that. I but would like, really want to play that, especially considering the Final Fantasy fourteen content. I would really <laughs> want to. Would really want to play that series in a new remastered form for sure. Yeah, and like, there's little aspects of this. Like, they add a couple of uh, journal entries for Yona, which are like the loading screens, and mm-hmm. some have some like implications that are like, okay, I, I'm curious what this means for the like. I, I guess this is probably not a spoiler, but like one mentions a chord 
who is a character that pops up in pretty much every one of these games. It's like, we didn't know before this that she was part like mincing around during this world. And if she is mincing around this world, then what does that mean? Like, why is she there? So that is a very interesting thing. Uh, another thing I think that I could not go back to is they add a couple of scenes, not, not like necessarily playable content, but scenes to uh, the sea route. And mm-hmm. these scenes add context to a couple of characters that I think makes it so they're and what they do in the story actually makes more sense and mm-hmm. is more than just them is more than I thought it was. So mm-hmm. I think that that is something that like if I went back to old near, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I, I know I don't know that I'm not missing anything until I know I'm missing it. And at that point right. I'm like, okay, now that this lacks his context, I wish I it had it. That's so great because it it's you know it's a small piece or small pieces of new content but they do allow you to experience these incredible characters in a new way like now you see I mean I'm sure you could see the intention in the original one with this but like this provides a tangible layer that now you can you know return to and just see that character in a slightly different way and like to do that so many years after the original Nier came out is really wonderful. Most games don't have that kind of chance and opportunity, especially cult classics like Nier. It really feels like this was a miracle timeline that is so great that we ended up here, but that could have easily not happened, but it has. Yeah, there's a a weird situation where Nier, like this has always been, uh, I forgot the name of the current president of Square Enix, but he likes Yoko Taro a lot. It's so like Nier Automata was just him going like, hey, just just try and do something that you want to make. And the fact that it became such a ridiculously successful game for Square Enix, like mm-hmm. they they now can go back and say, hey, you didn't play Nier before. What about giving it a shot now? And I think for a large number of people who liked Automata, as long as they go into the proper expectations of this is a 10 year old game that was not in many ways well made, mm-hmm. uh, then I think people will just really enjoy it. I think maybe my last question for now, um, because I have been so excited to record this with you and have this <laughs> conversation, but at the same time, we can't get into spoilers and specifics too much. Um, but I'm thinking about when you were talking about how apprehensive you were about experiencing this again was there a definitive moment where you stopped being tense and you felt sort of your body or your mind like relax and say like okay I like the direction of this I I think I'm in for something that will let me re-experience this in a different but nonetheless still important and impactful way was there just like a scene that really sealed it for you um you know i'm thinking maybe it could have been that scene when you first hear devila and popola sing that (laughs) is a really impactful scene for a lot of people but maybe it was a really small moment for you that it all finally fell into place or maybe there wasn't maybe you you know were apprehensive until the end and then you breathed that sigh of relief when you saw the new content and finally finished it and even cried over it and we're like yeah that that was that went better than expected or that succeeded my expectations there there was a moment but it's going to be later than you think it was 10 minutes before the end of the game 
that <laughs> I I was at a point where they gave me a choice, and mm-hmm. I stood there for, for a minute, and I hit pause and reloaded my game from the not last a choice save. in the original, right? No, it's a it's a new choice. Okay. Uh, I I paused and reloaded my game, and then d- did the entire like end game or like the the last hour of the game again because I wanted to like experience it again. And I was like, okay. These are people who love Nier as much as I do. And they wanted to make a thing that showed how much they love Nier. And that I th- like that's the same thing I felt when I felt played Final Fantasy VII remake of these are people who have like yes. a a dedication to what that original thing is. And for Nier Replicant, they weren't going, we need to remake this exactly. They were going, how do we make this for the people who also love Nier? And in that last like hour of the game was them going this is for you for this for this weirdo that like goes to near wikis and like just reads about this shit for this, this weirdo is the f- who wrote a book on yeah. who's writing a book on near yeah this is the thing for you and it's not like i was like i was i didn't have any faith in the game before that but that was the moment that crystallized it for me of like i just want to keep experiencing this and when yeah. it like when i actually did get that catharsis out of it it was like they understood what the what kind of game they needed to make here. Is that when you cried, or that was after? That was at, uh when I restart. When I reloaded, was not when I cried. When I finished after that, like sec- that reload is when I cried. Right, right. And I think that is a perfectly normal thing to have. Like it's not. I mean, you care about this so much. Of course, you would be apprehensive about it. I think it would be weirder if you weren't. This is such a personal story to you and to so many people. And to hear someone who loves it as deeply as you say that it really preserved that and even built on that foundation in really touching and interesting and emotional ways, I think is as good of an endorsement as it can get, honestly. Um, Yeah. I mean, the, if, yeah, go ahead. The first line in my near review, which I've kind of written right now, is I'm never more frustrated than when I'm tasked with assessing something I love, which is yes. very much true here. I absolutely feel the same. I think it is so easy to to talk about something when you have mixed feelings on it or when you don't like it but when I love something I freeze up because it's like no matter how many words I write I'm not going to be able to convey just how much this means to me no matter how many words you put in that review and no matter how good it is or even in that book that you're writing and you know if you get to publish it someday that's gonna capture a fragment of just how much you love this game and the story and its characters and it's a daunting task to do to try to tell the world like I love this thing so much and I don't know how to really convey that to the fullest extent but I hope that this captures just a tiny fragment of that love yeah and hopefully people like come out of this like either loving or whatever this game as well and like there's there's an argument that I've seen multiple times and I've I have agreed to it to some extent that near one might be a better game than Automata. Mm-hmm. I still think that's true in terms of the story. In terms of the gameplay, Automata just like runs all over this thing. <laughs> so like now now we actually can't have people like talk like have that discussion, that discourse with like a broader audience. For sure, for sure. Is there anything else before we wrap up that you want to say about Near Replicant slash Near 1.5? Anything on 
maybe your favorite character, just like anything. Just shoot. This is like your space to not, uh, you know, acquiesce to my questions and just go wild. Um, I'm really interested just because like, yeah, I think this is something that I've really looked forward to hearing from you all weekends. Like I was, I think I I was going to be more excited about you playing it than me playing it myself. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, geez. I think there's, there's one thing I want to talk about, but I can't without spoilers. But I do want to say that one of the reasons I... So I talked to Yokotaro once and I he said, or I asked him, like, why does he love <laughs> putting so much misery onto his characters? And he said they don't deserve good things. You can't go through a game murdering everybody and then end up with a happy ending. And I thought about that a lot while playing this game. And it's an interesting thing to think about especially in a context of the world that just like is very different than it was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder if like, while he was making this, what was he thinking about? Was he still thinking that they don't deserve good things? Or was he thinking that like, maybe the world is harsher on us and on the characters and everything than it needs to be. So that's kind of mm-hmm. what like, that is the, that was the running thought through my head while playing this game. Got it. That's something that other players should Keep in mind. That's interesting because when when you first said that, I guess my thought went to it's hard to say that we deserve anything, right? Like we live in a world where good things happen to bad people, like murderers that are, you know, in jail and have caused a lot of suffering, got to die from natural causes, even though they inflicted so much pain on so many families and good people don't always get what they deserve. And so I thought... Like, I know these characters, and they're, they're so great that, like, but that's just how the world works. And I think Yogo Taro has such a firm grasp of what he wants to explore in terms of humanity and the human condition and what it means to be alive in his games, specifically in Mir. Mm-hmm. So that's what I thought. But that is an interesting framework to go into the game with because I did not know that. And yeah. Like if you think about it, like, it makes sense. Like why does Nathan Drake get a happy ending after he murdered 300 people? <laughs> right. Exactly. I think, like you said, it's an, a, like a case study into ludonarrative dissonance. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I think that might wrap it up. I think we'll probably have a spoiler-filled discussion on the Nier remake, maybe in 99 Potions, but we'll see, because like I can tell you're itching to talk about those spoilery <laughs> things. I, I um, want you to experience it for yourself, too, because like I, yes. knowing you, Natalie, you're also going to have the, a very similar reaction to what I had. I think so, too. For me, it's because I'm, I'm definitely a crybaby. Like, I <laughs> cried a lot with Nier automata and whatnot but like i i that was such a sell to me like a selling of this game when i saw that you cried over it because like it's just such a it's just such an endorsement of it right like it's it really it seems like it did everything that it set out to do and more and i think that is really wonderful and i'm really excited to talk about it with you i hope that i can play it soon um please sue my university for giving me homework um, (laughs) and slowing me down on that but i will try to play it um 
hopefully like how many how many hours did you average per day trying to get through this over the last several days like was it I mean it was probably close day? to 8 like okay the, I I am someone who has played that game a dozen times so I knew exactly what to do in the first like route mm-hmm. so I did a lot of, like it was very front loaded of I did a lot of it there but boy the game doesn't explain like explains B C and D very clearly or yeah B C and D does not explain E at all so yeah. you, there was more to that than I thought there would be. More to getting that yes. up. We will certainly have a guide that Irman has helped <laughs> with on fanbyte.com because, like he says, that is not an easy thing to access. The game apparently can do a much better job of explaining it and how you got there. So be sure to check that out when that goes up after embargo. Um, so, yeah, I think that will be it for now um i'm sure again we'll get into a more spoilery detailed conversation later but for now that will be it for our near 1.5 review podcast thank you so much imran for talking about it and i i I love discovering this more vulnerable side of you because (laughs) i've (laughs) i've always really admired you and wanted to work with you and like seeing this side of you as you talk about Nier, I think people reach sort of, this is cheesy, but like their most wonderful form when they talk about something that clearly has affected them so much. And the way that you talk about Nier is so exciting to me um, that I was so looking forward to this for the last several days. And I'm so happy that we finally got to talk about it. Same. Like you can put me in front of a microphone and talk about, we thought this podcast would be 20 minutes. Here we are. Yeah. So, Imran, where can people find you talking about Nier and maybe even crying over Nier? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ImranZUMG, and you can find my Nier and otherwise content on fanbyte.com. Yes, yes. As for me, you can find me at HardyMesia on Twitter. That's heart I-M-E-C-I-A. You can find our wonderful producer, Paul Tamayo. Um... Oh, Polly Mayo. Yeah, that's your Twitter <laughs> name. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Polly Mayo. That's P-O-L-I-M-A-Y-O. I almost forgot letters for a moment. <laughs> yes. You can follow him there. He is wonderful and is so good about sitting through these conversations with proper nouns and you know, <laughs> all this good stuff and making sure that it comes out in a wonderful produced form uh so yeah thank you so much for listening to this episode and that was my dog (laughs) if you heard that um he's very grateful that you tuned in as well and be sure to look out on fanbyte.com for our near replicant review our near replicant guides and our near replicant features that i'm sure several of us will be writing about thank you bye bye